Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are John Lynch and Niall Duffy from Dave Genetics, Tim Ryan from IFAC on their annual farm report, and my final guest this morning will be Jamie Cal from Kildalton College. But before I go to my first guest this morning, I would like to congratulate our own Jack Kennedy on becoming the next editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. It's a well-deserved honour for Jack. He has been a wonderful correspondent with the journal for many, many years and somebody that was always available to come on AgriPort here on Tip FM. My first guest this morning is Matthew Murphy from Chagas. We're going to be talking about some of the old schemes and in particular the changes that have happened to those schemes for the current year. Good morning, Matt, and thanks very much for joining us. How about it, Jim? Thanks for having me. Can you talk first about the old scheme, and then we'll go to where the changes are? Yeah, so look, um, with the new what's called cap changes for 2023, the old single farm payment, which was basically you were getting a payment with your green and hop, which was 44%, and mm-hmm. um, that's been replaced there with the new system. So before it was basically your entitlement, along with your 44% payment on top of the unit value of the entitlement. So that's been changed now with the new new system, which is the Chris, the Beast, and the Eco. So it's basically one scheme made up of three different scheme, mini schemes inside it. So you have your Beast then, which would be a payment on your, say, on your entitlement. So the national average before was 170 plus greening, whereas now it's going to be, the national average is going to come down to 158 plus your Chris and plus your Eco on top. So that figure then is, say, your entitlement value then will be going up and down depending on whether you had high value or low value entitlement. So the idea is that at and below the 170 before were low value. So they're going to creep up and at and above the 170, they were seen as high value. So they're going to creep down. And that's basically what you're basically made up of. Okay. Many farmers, Matt, will be trying to get around what CRIWS or Chris means. So what does Chris mean? Yeah, so look, the Chris then is another payment. So that's hey, that's going to be what you call on the payment that'll only be made on the first thirty hectares. Right. So like the smaller farmers will avail of the whole Chris, whereas larger farmers may they get on the first thirty hectares of ground, but any extra ground they won't be getting the the Chris on it. So it might be something that farmers might want to think about, or people to anyone that's leasing outland or that, who's going to avail of the Chris payment, because it mightn't be there to be got on rented ground. What kind of payments are, are are on the land that qualifies for Chris? So it's basically you get 43 euros your, a hectare. So every hectare up to 30 hectares will be, say, what you call it, will be, you get, pay, you get paid on. So then and after that, then your 31st hectare, you won't be getting that 43 euros. Will you be getting any euros for one after the, the 30? No, it's no. just on the first 30 hectares. It's on it's the first 30, yeah. And then a cut off on that. And there's cut off. There's no gradual cut off. It's a clean cut off. A clean cut off then. Right. And then if I was to move on to, we'd say, the BIS. The BIS then is for what? Equal measures. No, the BIS then would be the, that's the unit. That's the, the value on the tight. Uh, so the entitlement value is the BIS. 
All right, the entitlement value is the base. I, I get it now. Okay, and then what about then qualifying for eco payments? So, yeah, the eco say anyone that logs on to their egg food or if they talk to their advisor, there's a watch called Space for Nature figure up on the egg food, mm-hmm. which is kind of a figure that is given based on each farm. The department have, have given, up, they up, uploaded that figure onto egg food. So, if anyone is reading over 10%, it's seen as two measures. So there's a seven percent figure and a ten percent figure. So any farmer that has seven percent, it's seen as um, it's seen as one action. But if you have ten percent, it's seen as enhanced. So right. that would count towards two actions. But every farmer would have to have two actions. So if they did ten percent, the ten percent would count for two actions, and they'd have to do no nothing else, and they'll receive a payment of seventy to eighty euros a hectare across the farm. Whereas if they're only at seven percent, they have there's a number of other options they can. They can pick such as extensive livestock production, uh, lineman, limiting chemical nitrogen usage, planting native trees and hedgerows, using GPS fertilizer spreaders, uh, soil sampling and spreading the appropriate lime according to the soil samples, planting a break crop or planting multi-species swars on the farm. That will basically give them their second, their second option. Basically, that's what we now call acres. No, it's completely different. That's another, okay. that's a different scheme too. This, this is just another option. Right, okay. If you wanted, it would go under the basic payment. Right, okay. And that's across the whole farm. So uh, if you have 50 hectares, you're going to get... Under 50 hectares. 50 hectares. Okay, it's all very confusing. So it's going to take us a, a bit of time to get used to it. Yeah, like the logical, there's a bit in it. Like, but mm. these options, like the eco scheme, it's a voluntary... It's voluntary for the farmers to go into it. Like they don't have to yeah. go into it if they don't want. They can just draw down their base payment mm-hmm. without going into the eco. But to be all done the same time as they do their BPS application like before. Okay. Well, I suppose we should be encouraging all farmers to go into the ecos anyway. Because oh, should, yeah. that's the big thing coming down the line. Okay. Anything else on the old scheme and the new scheme? No? Well, it's the max payment now on the base, which will be the entitlements, is mm. 66000 Right. So, like anyone now that with math, they say high would would have high, say high payments in that. If they're over the sixty six thousand, that's they, they could be coming into trouble now. Like, the, but there's no cap on the the equal that. But it's just the the basis capped at sixty six thousand. Okay. Now you have two events coming up shortly that uh, we need to uh, mention this morning. Yeah. So there's what's called a land mortality workshop there in. Robert Powers in Duella and Cashel on Thursday the 2nd of March at half seven. And the airport for that is E25HP93. And then the second logical event then is coming up on the, the 1st of March, a future brief, uh, an event. The topic is how to save money on your farm this spring. And to be looking at what you call it, um, how to get more live weight in your cattle, how to save money on fertilizer. There'll be dem- demonstrations on calibrating fertilizer spreaders and the outlook for 2023. Um, so that's an event done in John John Barry's and Nina. The airport for that is E45Y967. Okay, and I suppose before I let you go then, let's go back to the Lamb Mortality Workshop in Robert Powers Place, Joella House in Cashel. Just slowly give me the air code for that. Uh, E25 HP 93. And then the air code for John Barry's farm there outside Nina? 
uh, E45Y967. Okay, well, look at Matt. Thanks very much for that. That listener's was Matt Murphy, who is with Chagas in the Clanmel office. Listeners, my next guests are from Devay Genetics. They are John Lynch, whom I spoke to at the end of last year, and I also have Niall Duffy. During the week, I paid a visit to Devay House and Devay Genetics, and I caught up with the two boys. And as you all know, the breeding season is just about to begin, or maybe on some farms it has just begun. So... I'll go to John first. John? Jim, I suppose you're, you're, you're very welcome to the VA here today. Uh, it's great to see your face back around the place. And I suppose you can see the place is changing every time you come back. Things are improving here. I suppose that goes from our facilities for bulls to our lab, lab to our breeding programs to hopefully the progeny being produced on the ground. Uh, breeding season around the corner. I suppose now will cover... The demand for sex semen and I suppose thankfully this year we have a large supply a big range of bulls and Niall will just go through that very briefly later on mm-hmm. I suppose myself I'm over the beef program huge growth in sales the last two to three years and I suppose a lot of that coming from the dairy beef market uh, Angus and Hereford growing phenomenally with Angus sales up almost 80% in two years so uh, I suppose and that has been represented in the marketplace just looking at the start of the calf sales this year, the good calves are a great trade and maybe the lesser calves, not mm-hmm. a good trade. So I suppose, what do we want? We want to help farmers produce those good calves and more and more of those good calves. And I suppose we are investing heavily in a dairy beef program. Okay, so that's beef bulls to suit dairy farmer requirements. We want a large panel of bulls. And testament to that is we have the number one Angus, Belgian Blue, Limousin bull on the Dairy Beef Index in the active bull list, as well as having the number one bull overall in the Dairy Beef list. So I suppose we test three to four Angus bulls a year. We test three to four Lim, Blues, Herefords. I think we're, we're in a great position to drive this forward. We have four of the main breed societies on board that they want to invest in our breeding programme. So we have Certified Irish Angus, Irish Hereford Prime, the Irish Limousin Cattle Society and the Irish Charlie Cattle Society. All these organisations want to invest in our breeding programme to improve the genetic side of the dairy farm. We all know there's a big piece of work coming down the road with carbon, but, but we need to be ahead of the curve. So as was, why bother using beef AI? It's to breed better calves that will finish quicker, that will be more profitable. And, and the last one needs to meet criteria as well. These calves need to be profitable for the beef farmers that's going to rear them. Or the dairy farmers is going to rear them. Having something that is no value or no profit on, it, it's not sustainable going forward. So I suppose that's where we're at. Uh, last year we launched a, a new procedure called a triple mix, mm-hmm. which was three bulls and one straw of three different breeds. We've seen huge demand for it last year. Uh, results are good. No doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're talking about somewhere between... 7 and 9% better conception. So, I mean, if you're using that in the second or third week round of breeding, we spoke about your own cow's calving, Jim. It's phenomenal, the calving rate that's out there at the minute. But if you can pick up 7 or 8% better conception on the third round of breeding, mm-hmm. it'll make a huge difference to tighten your calving pattern. And I suppose that that is important too, that 
semen fertility is a big thing here and we pride ourselves in it. Uh, but keeping that calving pattern tight that it's one piece of work on a farm is a huge thing. But yeah, look at we have a huge panel of dairy beef bulls. We pride ourselves in having the best beef stud in Ireland. And we are dedicated that we're going to drive this on and we're going to get better and better. And look, the changes that have happened in the VA, I'm here 13 years now, is incredible to think where it has come. And hopefully in 13 years' time that it will be getting better and better again. And look, at it's all that everyone needs to make something out of it. So we need to make a living out of it. And the dairy farmer, the beef farmer needs to make a living out of it. And if everyone can get money at it, everyone will be happy. Okay, before I go away from you and go to Nile and we start talking about uh, dairy cows, how are exports going? Exports, semen uh, export. Oh, semen exports are yeah. huge, Jim. Last year was bumper sales for exports. And I suppose last week we had a woman in Ireland from Holland. She solely, all her beef semen is the vase semen she sells to the Dutch dairy farmers. And she was very, very happy with our product. So... Last year we sent Angus semen as far as Brazil, mm-hmm. a lot of semen to Vietnam, Turkey, and then all of Europe. But we're seeing growth in, in Angus across Europe as well. Now, a lot of white Belgian blues would be exported to mainland mm-hmm. Europe for use on dairy cows, but we did see growth in Angus. But Angus and Belgian blue for the exports and for the home market, Angus, Lemons and Hereford, like, I suppose... Five breeds make up our core market, and that's Angus, Limousin, Charlie, Hereford, and Belgian Blue. Okay, so thanks very much for that, No John. problem, Jim. Okay, we might be back to you again in a minute here. Niall, Hello, we've Jim. never spoken before. Uh, we've spoken to John on numerous occasions. Uh, look, at you're welcome to uh, AgriReport on Tip FM. Now, you're going to talk about uh, dairy cow yep. and what you have for uh, the dairy man. Yeah. Jim, thanks very much for having us on the show, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, yeah, so last week, mo- most farmers would have received their dairy catalogue in the post, so we're delighted with our new catalogue. It's split. It begins with the uh, component sires, moves on to the high-component easy-maintenance sires, on to the daughter-proven sires, then on to the pure Frisian sires and the international Holsteins then as well. Uh, we've other dairy directories then, which is the coloured uh, directory which is the red and white breeds as well so we're delighted with the catalogue um, with the dairy directory I suppose Jim at the moment here in the Vea we're busy on the breeding programme that's where we're testing the uh, elite calves throughout the country and we're trying to um, really find Ireland's best genetics and as John mentioned we judge ourselves on, on farmer satisfaction and how, and how pleased farmers are with their offspring and what they can deliver for the farmer financially so Last year, a breeding programme, we, we bought 14 new Holstein sires, um, two pure Frisian sires and a dairy shorthorn sire as well. So I suppose what we're looking for in our bulls is uh, balanced sires, you know, balanced across the whole index for health traits, maintenance with extreme components and most of all from high protein cow families. That's what the farmers are looking for. Um, in the bull dams, we're looking for that really good balanced cow with, with the correct proportion that's medium size. That's going to that's going to you know mm-hmm. that a lot of farmers will be happy with there. And there is, a, there is a range in the type of bull dams there. So there's bull, there's bulls there for every, for every for every farmer there. That that and um, so at the moment, if you're to take a look at our indexes, Jim, we yeah. on the active bull list we've got four out of the top ten. 
mm-hmm. and we have the number one EBI ball in the country called Brandy Star. Um, so that, that's what we have at the minute there. Um, sex semen this year, we've a lot of the bulls sex. We've over, tw- over 25 of the bulls available sexed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, we can see from the early sales, there's a big demand for bulls that have high solids with good blended percentages there. Um, along with there's good demand also for the for the younger bulls this year with with a lot of bulls reaching over 0.24 protein and 0.4% fat over 30 kilo milk solids so from 4% protein cows that's what's really ticking the boxes for many farmers as well along with that I suppose my colleague Marty Hayes he, he's busy at the moment on the Devea genetic sire advice so just a little bit about that that's where Marty will give farmers a helping hand and discuss uh, bulls that will suit, that will be suitable for their for their farm. I suppose when it comes to breeding, we do we have a four point plan when it comes to selecting your bulls for your dairy cows. The first point is to know your situation and and your current performance, the genetics of your herd that's there at the minute. The second the second point is to, I suppose, take a look and see where you want to go um, in terms of production and abandon it. The abandon now is becoming, um, I suppose, is another criteria for farmers' breeding programs. The next part then is to choose a team of bulls that um, that are hi- that are uh, higher in the traits that you want to improve in the farm. And then the fourth point mm-hmm. is to match the bulls to the cows. And so Marty's available there to give you a hand to help choose the bull team and help match them to the cows. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of changes. Uh, you know, uh, when I came over here first, I suppose uh, doing interviews uh, with. Uh, the late Dermot Kyle or whoever was here at the at the time, it was uh, just a very ordinary conversation about bulls and about breeding. Now it's all very technical. Uh, and this was just to follow on from Neil. We still are committed to the Pure Frisian program, yeah. And we have a diverse range of breeds, Jim. And yeah. I suppose, yeah, it is very technical now, and you have to move with the times. You'll be left behind, Jim, and that's where we're at. We have to adjust to the farmer requirements. You know, and, and I suppose, yeah, Deve was built on British Frisian roots, you could say. And the last Tim Fitzmars before Nile and Nile have both added this huge EBI roller coaster to our breeding programme, and, and that's what you could describe it as, you know. Yeah, it's very interesting because. Uh, so, if I was to ask you first, John, I'm just an ordinary farmer down the road here from the bay and I was to ask you for advice what bull should I be using for my dairy beef for your dairy beef Jim I suppose look at you'd be starting off with something maybe like a, an easy calf in Belgian blue like that bull we have bricolage BB4494 number one bull on DBI as I said in the active bull list he's the number one bull in calving difficulty at 6.5 excellent calf quality but just before that Jim you need to see what you want to do. Are you going to sell them as calves? Do you want to sell them in 14 days? Or are you going to go to stores? Are you going to go to Wienland? So I, I think if, if you're smaller, herd size, we'll call it, you can be a bit braver because you've more time to calve the cows. And you're more so. And then as you go on the season, I'd be saying Hereford, good Hereford bull, the likes of Shikihana, more fruitful, Carlos McCormack. And then you'd be finishing her off with an Angus maybe, you know. Right. And, and even your younger cows... Probably better to stick with the Angus in the start. The likes of Prime Lad, Kale Kale Prime Lad, he's the number one DBI bull in the country. But we also have Kale Kale Stockman, who is a bull that's doing pretty much the same job, not as high on numbers. But yeah, I suppose talk to your AI man, talk to your salesman. They're seeing these calves every day. We're here in the bay five days a week, talk to us. You know, there is a good team of people around the place. And, and we have all different bulls for all different situations, you know. 
And well, the beef side, yeah, and yeah. the same in the dairy. We better ask, uh, we better ask Niall here on the dairy. OK, I have a Holstein herd. What bull should I be using? John touched on it earlier there with the dairy beef, and I suppose that's an important point that I failed to mention earlier on. I think farmers, before the breeding starts, maybe it's a, it's a good idea to take a look down through your milk recordings and select the cows that you would be happy to breed a replacement from, that you get a bit of fire in the belly, that this is a cow that you'd like to work with and that's going to f- meet your, your breeding criteria. But <clears throat> if you have a Holstein Frisian herd, I suppose the f- once you know where you are, where you want to improve uh, with the cows, I suppose the first bull that really is uh, selling well for us, and it was the same last year, is Ballantosic Mr. Man. Um, he just is that really perfect bull with, with no faults, um, f- you know, high components, high solids. The mother's a great protein cow from the Amber family, and mm-hmm. farmers really like to work with that bull. He's ad- another high EBI bull is uh, Old Town Casper. Uh, he's now, if, some, if you're looking for a bit of high EBI, like that said, he's 380 and he's available sexed as well. Um, and, and the mothers are 4.25 protein. Right, and I'm going to jump you on now because I'm running to, to out hef- of time. But, but for the heifers there, I suppose yeah. a, bro, uh, a, a bull there to use would be Brode, FR6622. Lovely mm. calves out of them. The heifers are going to the bull this year. And I suppose our, our crown jewel is Easy Calf, and our crown jewel is Glenda by Ronald, another Easy Calving bull. Daughter proven with a great proof. Daughters of high components, good solids, and they're, they're square as well. So there's a lot of lot of options for farmers there. And as John said, we're here to help. So if anyone wants any further information, give us a shout. Okay, one other thing before I let you go, I have a purebred British Friesian herd. What should I be using? Well, we've two. We're, we're delighted to have two new options this year. Uh, we've two and an outcross as well. Uh, I suppose the first option is is a Barrowvale. Jingle 9 and, and Barrowell Google 8, which is the, from the famous Google. So from a tr- both from their half-brothers from a tremendous high-protein cow, um, you know, who's now in her 10th or 11th lactation. So farmers, Br- British Frisian farmers should be excited about that. They're high-component, positive milk, and from a great, from one of the best British Frisian cows we've ever worked with. Okay, well, look at lads. Thanks very much. John, Jim, thank once you very again, much. thanks a million. And the best of luck to all the farmers. Now, and thank you Jim, ever so much. Jim, keep milking. <laughs> Listeners, my next guest this morning is Tim Ryan, and Tim is with IFAC in the Nina office, and some of you may remember last week IFAC published the results of their annual survey, which they do every year, and Tim is with me to talk about it. Good morning, Tim, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on. No no problem at all. Now, I well, let's look at the report. I see from the p- report that the majority of farmers have a positive outlook for the next 12 months. That's right, Jim. Yes, uh, overall, 56% of farmers were, that we surveyed were positive, um, rising to 80% in the dairy sector. Um, yes. I suppose that was on the back of an excellent year for dairying in 2022, where lads would have averaged over 60 cents a litre, maybe higher with milk solids. And it was a good year as well in beef, uh, with prices up to 5.30 a kilo and in the in the in the mm-hmm. summer there and a good year I suppose for tillage too with a rare combination of a good price and good yields. So I suppose all sectors were doing well in twenty two. Just I suppose to to note that the survey was completed in December, so you know, I suppose there's probably been a little bit of uncertainty since in terms of you know, in the sheep sector I suppose factory prices dropped back a bit and I suppose the cost in high and even the in the milk 
there's probably six centiliter mm-hmm. gone off there, and you know, in the, in the last number of months. So look, we just tempered in that sense that it mightn't be fully the same positivity mm-hmm. at the moment. But I think overall people are positive, and, and um, so maybe that's in our nature as farmers to to think positive on things. Okay, and of course, thinking negatively then about things, farmers are looking at the rising costs and they have deep concerns. What's your experience about that? That's right, Jim. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, looking at the survey, uh, 75%, 75% of farmers were concerned about the input costs. And no doubt it's, 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 uh, it's the biggest concern really there across all the sectors, um, especially in the beef and tillage it's a main concern, and dairying is actually second behind regulatory changes. People are probably little, slightly more concerned on the nitrates and all that, that the regulation that's coming there. But they are also very conscious of costs. So um, I suppose headline figures, look, everyone is aware the fertiliser being up 250%. Uh, feed costs, that's year on year. Feed costs up 40%. Uh, huge increases in electricity and diesel costs also. So there's no doubt, look, costs are up. Of course, output prices were up a good lot in in 22, so things were okay. You know, and people actually did well. Um, but I suppose the concern for 23 is if if, if uh, output prices drop back, which mm-hmm. they probably will, uh, then the people's margin is going to be squeezed. And I suppose budgeting and keeping an eye on costs is going to become more important. You talk about budgeting, and when you look at the report, as far as budgeting is concerned, I kind of, there's a shocking figure there that over half the farmers do not engage in budgeting on their farms. Yeah, it, that's right, Jim. It's it's a it is a very high figure, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we'd say is like, I think people are getting better at doing it, and people are tuning into it, the importance of it. Um, no, the only thing people say is, look, and I'm conscious of it, but with the kind of volatility that has been there, it is a very difficult process. You know, it's hard to, between incomes changing so much and costs changing so rapidly, you know, but what we'd say is that a budget gives you a starting point and gives you a, a framework. And we'd say, look, every farmer should know their break-even point. And mm-hmm. when I say that, I mean not necessarily in terms of profit, even just in terms of cash flow. What income do I need coming in to cover my farm costs plus my my loan repayments plus my living costs? And every every farmer should know that point, and it'll be different for every farmer depending on what barns they have and what 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 uh, level of living costs they have as well. You know, so but it's important to know that. Mm-hmm. So look, we we were seeing an increasing demand for management information at farm level. So like, even in 2020, there we launched Farm Pro Plus. Um, mm-hmm which really is a management information tool. And what that does is budgeting and cash flow for farmers. And one of the things it does, I suppose, is flags potential problems before it's supposed to become real problems, really, in that, just for example, like someone expanding, they might have, in dairy, might have less stock to sell, so we might have to look at increasing their overdraft maybe for a year, putting a credit line in place, or maybe maybe they might even go on interest only on a loan for a year just to, to give them a bit of breathing space. But... I suppose FarmPro gives us those options to, to, to know what's coming down the track. Um, and we can run different scenarios on it too, which which makes it a very powerful tool in terms of, um, you know, even people at the moment now looking at nitrates. If, mm-hmm. you know, if they have to cut back on numbers, then we look at that. Or their other options are to try and lease extra ground or contract rearing. And we can we can look at these scenarios and cost them and see what's best. Um, and some of it could come down to lifestyle too, you know, and it's case by case. 
for example, I had a farmer there recently, and he's he's going to take on extra ground to keep up his numbers. Mm-hmm. And um, but he wants to be able to keep that extra labour unit on the farm, so that's that's his reasoning behind it. So it's it's kind of partly figures and partly lifestyle. So look, all these things are case by case, but we're finding look great feedback on the service for that from that point of view. That it's it's what it's doing is giving people the information, up to date information to make make their decisions. So it's, it's it's proven very popular, and and also we can benchmark people's costs on it. Mm-hmm. So look, we can compare your costs to the average in the industry in the top ten percent. So mm-hmm. look, there could be certain costs there that are out of line, and when we get behind that, there could be valid reasons for it, or else there could be could be that we need to take corrective action on certain costs. So certainly, I say it's, it's it gives us all those options in terms of of, of budgeting. Okay, another figures in the report, again, that are absolutely baffling, and that is that 69% of farmers have not identified a successor. That's a terribly high percentage. It is, Jim, yeah. It is a major, major problem, you know. And when we looked at it, there's there's various reasons for it, but two of the main ones, first, uh, 27% of people said lack of viability of the farm mm-hmm. was the main reason and probably not surprising that those respondents were in the beef and tillage sectors Yeah. Um, so that was the concern there on the dairying side 22% said that lifestyle not appealing to the next generation was, was the reason around succession mm-hmm. and that, that you know so mm-hmm. um, but I suppose regardless of it like for whatever the reasons they, we have to be conscious that land is a valuable asset and having a succession plan and future is very important because it future proofs the farm. Like we also found in the report uh, from the survey that 45% of people have no will, which is a very you know a very mm-hmm. high figure as well. And look, what we'd say, look, if you own an asset, regardless of your age, you should have a will. And um, the tax consequences, uh, min costs, and I suppose your intentions not being followed through are not, uh, you know, mm-hmm. are, are yeah. very negative outcomes there in terms of it. So, but look, the, what we'd say to people, like the difficult part on all this is, is for people to decide on what they want to do. Because um, once they have a, a framework of what, what way they want to leave their assets, then in terms of the tax side of things, we can take it on then and, and we can do the tax planning on it and most cases can be worked out. But I suppose the hard, hard part for most people then is trying to decide what they, what they want to do on it. Just one last question. I'm running out of time, uh, Tim. When considering renewables now, and renewables are the big things, I see over half the far- farmers say that the barriers are the high costs of uh, going into renewables and the poor returns. Uh, and maybe the announcement with regard to TAMS this week might feed into a, a better result for this particular area, renewables. That's right, Jim. Yes, it's, uh, the TAMS announcement there in the week is, is mm-hmm. great news in terms of the cost factor. Um, there's a 60% grant for all farmers up to 90,000 on the TAMS, so and that that applies to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So look, that's that's very positive news. Now it it'll apply on all electricity on the farm, including what you need for your own house. So you, while the panels can't go on your house, you can get you will be allowed for for your usage for for both farm and house because most farmers will have one meter. Mm-hmm. It's also important to note that you will only get grant for the for your usage that you require on average. You know you won't you won't get grant for exporting uh, electricity to the grid. 
uh, even though you can, you are allowed to export it. But in terms of the figures on it, I suppose, with the 60% grant and the fact that people will get back fat as a non-registered farmer, mm-hmm. and from a tax point of view, there's a 100% write-off in the year for, for capital allowances. So when you put those three things together, uh, it really does make it very affordable. Now, in terms of advice for people, I suppose we'd say, look, it's the TAMS uh, scheme is a four-year scheme, so our advice would be not to rush into it. Um, I suppose the thing is to get it right, um, so it's whether it's get, getting it, getting the panels in the right place, uh, getting the right contractor, and getting the right setup for you. And I suppose, I suppose the advice to people is to do the research on, on all those areas. But certainly, we'd say it's it's, it's one well worth considering for okay. most people. Okay. Well, look, we're out of time. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us, Tim. And if anybody wants to contact you in the Nina office, what's the number? Yeah, it's 067. 32355. Okay, that listener was Tim Ryan from IFAC, and Tim is in the Nina office. And if you want to contact Tim, he's giving you out his telephone number. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Jamie Cal, and Jamie is a teacher down in Kildalton College. And on next Friday, the 3rd of March, they have an open day, and Jamie is with me to talk about it. Good morning, Jamie, and thanks for joining us. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Uh, a while since we spoke, uh, did you get a good response to the last time we spoke about an open day? Uh, we did, Jim. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I suppose we're looking up here in, in Kildalton. It's a pretty popular place for, for a lot of the, you know, the, the farmers in, in the area, the first country to, to come down to. But um, we had a huge turnout this time last year. Um, for our open day and I suppose this, this year ahead is looking um, to be as popular as well so I suppose it's going to come on this morning and give people a heads up um, about it and it, it's, it's happening on the 3rd of March and I suppose look everyone's welcome to come down um, from I suppose school leavers mature students or parents guidance counsellors they're all invited to the open day on the 3rd of March and I suppose we're kind of asking anyone coming in large groups just to give us a ring in advance um, to have I suppose a book and put in just so we can deal with the numbers on the, on the day, you know. Right. OK, now, what time then on the 3rd of March, that's next Friday, uh, do you kick off at, Jamie? Yeah, so we've two tours starting at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, so as you come in, if you're in before 10, we'll train so we'll get you off in the earlier groups and then the later groups will we'll leave on the 11 o'clock tour. So there'll be a couple of stands on the day um, try, I suppose, to show off how we have in terms of facilities for the dairy units, <clears throat> the, the beef, the dry stock, the, sorry, the sheep, the horticulture, equine, all the units we covered on the day. And I suppose it's a good chance to, to see what the college has in terms of um, facilities for education and for uh, the farm side things, meeting the students, meet the staff, and I suppose see what the place is like. Um, if you're interested in maybe coming here next year or, or down the line, you know. Right. And you say there, then, it's for everybody. It's for both a student who is thinking of doing something with agriculture, but it's also for parents and teachers. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. Yeah, every year, I suppose, we get a, a huge crowd, but like a lot of the crowd would be parents or guidance counsellors that might come just to see suppose, what the place is like, that they can report back to maybe their, their school if they're a guidance counsellor. Or often for look for parents, it, it can be looking. It can be just as daunting for for parents as it can for 
for a young student coming down here for the first time. And I suppose it's nice for maybe the parents' family to see what Kiltalton has to has to offer, what it looks like, where we're located, all the things that might go through your head, I suppose, when you're initially looking to go to college. Um, it can be a bit of a, I suppose, a, a daunting time ahead. So it's nice for people to come down, maybe even as a, as a family, just to see the place and, and to get to know some of the staff before ever, I suppose, the, you know, the student gets to attend here. Okay, now does a student, you know, hasn't made up their mind, Jamie, as to what a branch in agriculture they want to go into. So can you explain the courses that are available then to any student who goes down and has a look around? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. So I suppose there's no um, set path, really. So generally, if you take your your, your um, typical what we call a level five student that comes in here to Kildalton on the mm-hmm. ag course. Um, in first year, they don't generally specialise. They'll do a mixture of, of a load of modules from, say, soils to grass uh, to beef. Um, they'll have an option maybe of dairy, sheep, or tillage. Um, they'll do kind of environmental modules um, in first year. And then in second year, they get to choose maybe if they have a more specialised uh, course. So they might specialise in dairy and they might specialise in dry stock, which is a mix of sucklers and sheep, um, or they specialise in crops machinery. And then I suppose from there, then, once they've that completed, they have a, an advanced level six certificate in their back pocket, which gives them their green cert. And they're, they're, they're free to go if they want, or if they want to, I suppose, further education. And we have links with ACTU and Waterford, where they might decide to, to move across, maybe and join part of the level seven or level eight degree programmes in Waterford. You know? So there's, there's opportunities, I suppose, the whole way along. Um, depending on what step you're at. Okay, you mentioned earlier in the interview there would be a couple of stands on the, available on the day for people to look at and get more information. So uh, what kind of stands will they be? Will there be one on dairy and one on equine and one on tillage? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Jim. Yeah. So I suppose look for, for the beef stand, um, we'll probably have a selection of a couple of cows and calves, um, maybe yearlings. Mm-hmm. And we'll just talk through, I suppose, the, the skills that a student would learn um, in Kildalton as part of the beef module. And we'll talk a little bit about the, about the stock we have enough on, I suppose, on the farm here, just to show them how, what we're at, what kind of angle we're taking at it. The same on the dairy side of things. They'll have, um, they'll have I suppose, um, a couple of cows on, on, on the stand there to talk yeah. through the skills that they cover. Uh, during the module, we'll have a stand on soils, sustainability, grass measuring, sheep. As you mentioned, obviously there'll be equine stands, mm-hmm. there'll be horticulture stands. They're all all an offer, I suppose, manned by, by, by staff members to talk to the, to the potential students what's coming in. How many students then, roughly, uh, can you accommodate in uh, in a year? Or how many, what would the intake be probably <coughs> next September? Yeah, so I suppose if we look at it as, as a whole college, mm-hmm. there's roughly 1,400 students coming through the gate every year, Jim, between, let's say, our full-time, our full-time courses, our part-time and distance courses, and then I suppose our, our students coming in from ACTU in Watford. Um, in terms of the, the first-year standard level five course, we take in from 120 to 140 or 50 every year come through the gates of first-years. Um, so that's, I suppose, the number we, we take in, you know. Like, I suppose you, it's it's it's, a, it's possible to apply at the moment, um, but there's still loads of time left in applications. Like they'll be open up up until late June, you know, um, to apply to to start the course. So there's loads of time left to decide what what you you want to do. But it's a good chance to come down and be well in advance of all this and, and see the place and and see what we have to offer because 
it is a nice chance to see things, you know. And then I take it that the majority of your students don't stay on campus. They come in every day or whatever day they have lectures. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So generally the the, the, the typical day is the student would have lectures from, say, 9.15 to kind of 1 p.m. And then they'd have practical, I suppose, classes in the, in the evening from 2 until 4 p.m. Um, so we have, I suppose, maybe kind of 80-odd bedrooms on campus here that's you know, the yeah. first come first serve basis when when you're booking initially, um, but then the other students would, would stay maybe in local digs, local accommodation, or maybe stay in Watford um, city itself. And then sort of a lot of students coming from from home every day as well. And for it's great because after a few weeks in first year, people make new friends. They get to know people they didn't realize they live so close to, and they start to carpool. And it's from there that you kind of start to develop these network of friends. And you know, it's it, it's nice was for for students to have these groups of. Uh, friends on campus. Okay, well look at we've dabbled a little bit into uh, what was going to happen on uh, Friday next the third. So and anybody listening to us who wants to go, can you just give me the details again, Jamie, please? No problem, Jim. Yeah, so look, I suppose, um, as I said, the third of March, um, Friday third of March is our, our, our annual open day. Um, tour starting at ten a.m. and eleven a.m. Um, we would encourage maybe people with, with large bookings or maybe a, a large number of people coming down, maybe just to book in advance. Um, the college phone number there it's o five one six four 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 double zero. Um, just maybe to phone in advance if you have a large group or maybe you're a teacher bringing a couple of students down just to phone in advance that we're, we're ready for the numbers as well on the day. Okay, well, look at Jamie. Thanks very much for joining us. That listeners was Jamie Cal, who is a tutor in Kildalton College, and Jamie was telling us all about their open day, which is on, on next Friday, the third of March. Before I sign off this week, listeners, I just bring something to your attention. On Thursday next, the second of March, at ten thirty in the morning, in the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. There is an event to bring you up to date on the findings of the Farm Safety and Health and Wellbeing EIP Agri Project. So if you're interested in farm safety and interested in how this particular uh, EIP is performing, Clonmel Talbot Hotel is the place to be on Thursday morning. That, listeners, is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me, Jim Finn, at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon O'Wire presents Down Your Way.